The Holy Gospel for this day of Epiphany comes from Matthew chapter 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, who's probably the most influential Old Testament professor out there in the recent generations, has some wonderful insights about this epiphany story. And so before I really start, I have to give him all the credit for almost everything that I will say. If you don't like it, you can, then that's a part I wrote, and then you can blame me. The Epiphany story is best known for one thing, or to be specific, three things. The three kings, or the three wise men, or the three astrologers, or whatever it is that you want to call them. The three travelers who arrive to visit Jesus as we bring our telling of the Christmas story to a close. But although they are the most famous part of it, before we get to the three kings, first we must listen to the poets specifically to the poem that we heard read earlier, which Linda read for us from the book of Isaiah. A poem about shining like the dawn and about nations coming to Jerusalem to bring them gifts. That is a very old poem and a very important one, written in a time when it was badly needed. About 600 years or so before Jesus was born, and after years of being warned by prophets that they must change their ways, the people of Israel, or suffer greatly for the type of unjust world they had created. After many warnings, the people of Israel were captured by the Babylonians and many of them dragged off into exile. Several generations went by before they were allowed to return home. When they did, they came back to Jerusalem and found it a shell of what it had once been, in shambles, without a viable economy or homes to live in or really any realistic way to rebuild. 
They were home after all that waiting, but they were also at the edge of despair. For who wants to live in a place where the buildings are crumbling and violence is rampant and nobody knows what to do about it? In the middle of that mess, there was an extraordinary poet who invited his depressed, discouraged people to look up, to rise and shine, and expect the impossible, because that is what God promises, and God does what God promises. That's where this poem comes from. Arise, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The poet then promises that Jerusalem, in spite of all evidence to the contrary, what it looks like right now, Jerusalem will one day come back to its glory. It will become the center of international trade. It will be a prosperous and busy place once again. It will be so well known that other nations will bring their best and most wonderful gifts to Jerusalem. It will be full of camels. And it will be full of wondrous things like gold and frankincense. Now, to be clear, none of that looked even remotely possible given the state of Jerusalem at that time. But that's the thing about hope. Hope doesn't have to be realistic. Hope can be wild and defiant and radical. It can defy all the odds and every evidence to the contrary. And that is exactly what this poem was. It was a wild and wonderful dream for for a city that had lost all hope. So keep that that dream and that vision in mind and now fast forward about 500 years. That poem is still known. That dream is still alive. And the wise men or the kings or the astrologers, they know it too. They know that God has made these abundant, ambitious promises to Jerusalem. And they know that they could be a part of that by bringing gifts like gold and frankincense to that city. They throw some myrrh in there just to make sure they really got it covered. They also know the later part of this poem, which we didn't read today, that says, in the city there will be a king who will bring peace and righteousness and justice. And so they go. They go to Jerusalem and they bring their gold and their frankincense and their myrrh and they are looking for this king, this king of peace this king of hope. They go to the palace because they're smart and where else are you going to find a king but a palace? And they find a king, all right, but not exactly the one they were looking for. They find King Herod. And they ask King Herod where to find the new king, which is the dumbest question you can ask the existing king. Everything you need to know about Herod, you learn from his reaction to their question. When Herod heard this, he was frightened. And all Jerusalem with him. Why is Herod frightened? What does he have to fear from three scruffy astrologers who are naive enough to come to the palace and ask for the real king? Herod shows us what so often lies at the heart of any sort of tyranny or brutality or anger. 
fear. And Herod shows us that a fearful, insecure leader is a danger to everybody. In his panic, Herod does a sort of odd thing. That is, he calls his biblical scholars, his own biblical scholars, and he asks them about all this gold and frankincense business. Because if indeed there's some promise out there that God is going to bring great prosperity to Jerusalem, then he is ready to be a part of that. And this alleged other king will just have to be gotten rid of. Herod may hate the wise men, but if the poem they are quoting means riches for him, then he's willing to keep them around long enough to figure it out. So Herod's scholars go off and they look up biblical promises and they come back with a report that they must know Herod will not like. I imagine they had to draw straws to decide which of them would deliver it and as quickly as possible. For they have to tell him that everyone involved, the wise men and Herod, They've all gotten the wrong poem, the wrong part of the Bible. God has made a promise that there will be a king, a Messiah, and that king will bring peace and righteousness and justice, but that king is not coming to Jerusalem. That king is coming to some small backwater town half a dozen miles away, to Bethlehem. They have gotten it all wrong, all of them. That promise about a shepherd king, that doesn't come from a great poet or in a big bustling city. It comes from a rural peasant named Micah. It's not impressed with high towers or great arenas or job creators or urban sprawl. This promise isn't about a powerful king with crowns and robes and armies. It's about a shepherd A shepherd who stands in the middle of the flock and brings peace not with force, but by attentiveness to the people on the ground. You all got the wrong poem, say the Bible scholars. We've all been looking in the wrong place. The truth is, this is not a story about three kings, it's a story about two kings one in Jerusalem and one in Bethlehem. It's a story about two very different understandings of power. It's a story about where we so often go looking for God and how often it turns out we went to all the wrong places. It's a story about a tyrant and a child, a ruler and a refugee, about the world as it so often works and the world as God envisions it to be. And it turns out that although all this happened thousands of years ago, you and I still live every day caught between those two things. Maybe they have different names, maybe they play out in different ways in our own lives, but we too must choose all the time which king we will follow, which version of power will grab our attention and our resources and our time and our hearts. When we stand in the middle of devastation and despair and what looks like an unholy mess, which promise will we lean toward? Which version of life will we choose? 
the one that puts us on the throne or the one that puts us back on the road toward the child? The wise men make a brave choice. They defy Herod and they go to Bethlehem. They leave those priceless gifts, thus explaining why they didn't bring anything more practical like diapers or something. They leave that frankincense and gold and myrrh, not in a castle, but with a tiny impoverished family. And then they go back home, but not the way they came. Because the king they met, the baby king they met, has shown them who Herod really is. So they go home a different way. Now we stopped reading the story there, but the story keeps going. That is, an angel warns Joseph to take his family, that Herod is after them. They must run. And so they do. They take a long walk to a foreign land where they arrive as refugees, migrants, and they stay until it's time to go home again. Herod, meanwhile, demands the execution of all children in and around Bethlehem who are two years old or younger. If you haven't learned it from Herod, you learn it then, that fear and power are a lethal combination. Only 12 days ago, we stood in this space and we told the story about the baby and the manger and the shepherds and the stars. And it does not take long, 12 days, before that beautiful and beloved story runs headlong into a world that is a lot more accustomed to the way Herod works. But it turns out that this is where the three kings or the three astrologers, the three wise men, this is where they bring the most important gift. That is, they show us the way. They know what it's like to live in a world where those in power are not always trustworthy. They know what it's like to watch children be threatened and sacrificed to violence and chaos. They know how easy it is to be manipulated into believing that all the promises of goodness and prosperity are just for you and everyone else should take care of themselves. But they also know what it's like to encounter a different kind of king, a child, a God who takes you home by a different road. You and I don't need gold and frankincense and myrrh, but we do need companions to show us the way of resistance and hope, stubborn, defiant, radical hope, the way to Bethlehem, where we never thought we needed to go, and a different way back home. We've always thought that the gifts of the kings were for that child in the stable. But it turns out that the best gift they bring is really for us. Arise, shine, your light has come, and it is here, you, here to show you the way home. Amen. <clears throat>